Greetings and welcome to Longevity Now, the place to get all your news and views about life extension from around the world. For this episode, we once again talk to a leading researcher who is involved with the third Longevity-funded life extension-related experiment. Dr. Alexander Stolzing is one of the world's leading stem cell researchers based in Germany and was a guest previously, back when this program was just a text chat. At that time, three years ago, stem cell research was kind of in its infancy. Yet, Dr. Stolzing was very optimistic about progress in the field. Here we are, three years later, and there are thousands of stem cell experiments occurring around the world. And you are about to hear an update on the progress of microglia stem cell research funded by Longevity, along with a few other thoughts about Alzheimer's disease and ways to promote anti-aging research. Good evening, Dr. Stolzing, and welcome to Longevity Now. Hi, everybody. Yes, before nice getting to be here. yes, it's wonderful to have you once again on a chat here. Uh, before getting in depth into the questions, I would just want to remind everyone that the data from the stem cell research uh, is not completely in, and I won't be asking about any preliminary results because you know any conversation that touches on that would be should be taken with caution, and uh, we won't know the true results until publication. Uh, with that said, how has the project progressed so far? Okay, so we're um, up to the point that the transplantation has been done. We have set up all the tissue stainings. We have uh, done the differentiation in vitro again. Have also spent some time on describing the differentiation product, so the microglia, which we have derived from bone marrow. So I'm, we, we're pretty sure that we get very good microglia um, yields and also of high quality. So they have all the function of microglia you find in vivo. So on that side, we are, we are pretty well done. And now the transplantation data has to be evaluated. So that's kind of like the point we are. Okay. So you're just getting to the point where the transplantation will start occurring. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when it's getting interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just getting interesting now. Were there any um, unexpected uh, things that occurred while you were culturing the uh, microglia uh, cells? No, no. There, there was nothing really surprising or okay. out of order. So everything went according to plan. According to plan. Which so, is good. Yeah, which is good. Uh, sometimes, though, I, I imagine when something does happen uh, that is out of the ordinary, it can be something that other researchers can learn from, you know, in, in, in protocols. So, yeah. so far, everything has gone according to protocol. Uh, nothing new has been learned about uh, culturing microglia. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> okay. Just, you know, since we haven't really gotten into the data part of this experiment, I wanted to ask, what other types of microglia research have you read about or heard about or participated in recently? Anything that's kind of related to what we are funding here, you know, related to Alzheimer's, any human trials, you know, drugs that stimulate uh, microglia function or, or replacement of microglia cells? Is there anything else going on that you are aware of? Okay, so maybe let me start on our own project. So we're also doing a very similar project with human iPS cells, which we turn into microglia. So, and that also gets then transplanted into mice with Alzheimer conditions and also in aged mice. So that's a kind of a parallel project which we are we are doing as well. I see. And that takes 
a bit more time because these um, induced pluripotent stem cells are far more undifferentiated. So just the whole process of, of turning them into microglia is a bit more difficult. And uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing as well. In terms of other microglia work, there was recently a publication also from Germany uh, showing that a microglia transplantation also in an Alzheimer model has shown no effects. That was just PhD thesis um, I got off, the, off the, the web, so also other people are working on that. Okay. Um, for, for us, it was disappointing to see that it didn't do anything good, but it was, yeah, may, maybe our cells are different. It was a completely different uh, protocol and everything. Sure. Okay. In, in terms of, of human trials, there is a bit going on on macrophage transplantation. But they're not focusing on microglia or on the neurodegeneration angle. So it's, it's mostly for diseases of the rest of the body. But so the macrophage transplantation has been done in humans in trials. Okay. But I'm not aware of any microglia transplantations. I see. All right. Well, I want to get into a question here from a member. Are there any research attempts at creating neurons, human neurons, from stem cells currently ongoing? There are millions of research projects on that one. So yes, there's a lot of work going on on deriving neurons from all kinds of cells. That might be iPS cells, embryonic stem cells, mesenchymal stem cells, neuronal stem cells. Uh, we also have turned our iPS cells into neurons. Oh, yeah. uh, so a lot of, yeah, so just that is like kind of quality control test for us. So to know that we have good quality iPS cells, we regularly turn them into neurons. I see. So it's a pretty common practice then, being able to turn stem cells into neurons. What type of research has been ongoing uh, lately? Some of the labs around the world, are they uh, planning on transplanting neurons? Uh, They already did that. Okay. it, it is so next to the bone marrow transplantation. That's probably the field where we have progressed most. So, neuronal progenitor cells, mostly derived from fetus and and fetal tissue, has been transplanted in many many different humans. I don't know how many trials around the world oh, are ongoing. Many, though. many, yeah, many many. So that is a, a very common field, and I think the success rate is kind of mostly done in Parkinson's patients. And uh, usually you see some improvements, but that improvement kind of goes back to the old state and you would need new transplantations. So yes, and also in in stroke, that's another common area where neuronal stem cell transplantation and and also other stem cells has been transplanted locally is, is looking good. Looking pretty good. Okay. Uh, One thing with the Alzheimer's model, I was wondering, uh, this question just kind of uh, popped into my head about transplanting young neurons or new neurons into the brain. If they get into an environment where there is a lot of plaque buildup, perhaps does that affect their function? Do you think that the plaque also has to be removed at the same time that either you know microglias enter you know enter into the brain or new neurons are transplanted into the brain? Do you think that's a factor? So definitely, there's an interaction between the amyloid, which is in the at, at least in the animal model building up most of the amyloid plaques, and that is neurotoxic. So yes, it can happen that some of the cells 
when you do neuronal transplantations or neuronal stem cell transplantation, that they might go into apoptosis and simply die. And that is for us the reason to actually look at microglia transplantation. So in, at the beginning, we just want to do microglia only, but you could also imagine that you do a mixed transplantation where you clear off the plaques first, and then you replace whatever kind of lost neurons are there, and then you, you take neuronal stem cells in a, in a second transplantation round. But we, we don't know so far if the plaques are actually bad or if they are good. So there's also theories around saying that brain is actually trying to get rid of that toxic materials and the brain is, is putting it together into, into kind of plaques and that when you would try to kind of get rid of the plaques, you would make everything worse. Mm, so I, we actually have, have to see if that works with the microglia transplantation at all or if we make the disease even like worse, like if we would worse. accelerate. Right. My own, you know, personal theory, you know, I'm not a brain neurosurgeon or brain researcher or stem cell researcher, but personally, I uh, tend to think that as plaques build up throughout life, that the brain adapts to the presence of the plaques. But I can't imagine that we would we would want to keep that around, ideally speaking, because we're not born with a brain full of amyloid or other uh, plaques and other, you know, tau protein tangles and, and such things. So I would think that we would want to ideally get rid of all of that, but perhaps an aged brain has adapted so well to the presence of plaques that removing or clearing that plaque does cause some sort of side effects. Am I way off base there, or no? No, I, I think I think my 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 idea is is, is very, very similar to your idea. Is that that get get rid of the garbage, uh, get rid of these protein aggregates because they are not not good for the cells. People have done a lot of in vitro experiments showing that they are actually toxic. And if you derive or like if you get rid of the um, aggregates, that cells are going back to normal. So, hmm. but in the process of degrading them, you might end up with with something which is even more toxic. Hmm. But if you can clear all of it, it might be beneficial in the long in the long run. But long there run. might be a phase where you have even more toxicity around. But as I said, that uh, nobody has done that in vivo, so we, we won't know. Okay. Well, next question here. About three years ago, during an interview similar to this, you predicted that within five years, we would be able to grow many simple organs with stem cells, such as the liver, bladder, heart, and skin. Uh, that was a, a bold prediction, but you were absolutely correct. How did you know? Uh, I I didn't know. I mean, it was it was a guess, and the guess came from knowing a lot of the different research projects going on worldwide, and then you kind of get like a feeling. And it's it's not really organs so far, even even by now. Yes, a bladder, but that bladder can't is not contracting so far. Ah. It's not not with nerve cells, so it's just like a a ball of cells. And even the recent transplantation of other simple tissue, it's all simple. It's all like one layer or maybe a mixture of two cell types, but it's not a fully functional organ we have made. It certainly is progress, though. It is progress, yeah, yeah. And uh, now, uh, do you have any other insight, given your uh, deep connection in the uh, stem cell research community, uh, say, in the next five years, do you have any feeling on what type of progress we're going to see in, in a couple of areas? 
at the moment it's hard because a lot of things are changing. So we have a lot of acceleration of, of like cell-based therapy going forwards. But we also have some projects where it doesn't work out as, as we are planning. Now we have problems of getting funding. So I okay. don't know how fast research will be in the next couple of years. Okay. Sure. I hear from a lot of research groups that their research has slowed down because of the problems of funding. Oh, well, hey, since you mentioned funding, <laughs> what do you think of the open funding model where life extension advocates raise small amounts of research money and then fund some research projects, follow along as the research progresses, uh, kind of like what we have done here? What do you think about that model of, of progress? I, I think it's a great model. I really love it because you get personally involved and you kind of like take this as, as your project if you have donated it. So you look up what the, the people are doing. You look up oh, is the, how far is the project. Has the project published anything? So I think it's it's a really great thing to do. And, and I can say that in Germany, there's not a lot of things like that going on. There are not a, a lot of such projects. So I, I really love it. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. I, I hope you carry on. Yeah, well, that. I'm sure we will uh, continue to do that. I know some researchers are, like you said, not much of this is going on in Germany. I know not a whole lot uh, in other parts of the world. What do you think is the main barrier to alert more researchers about this type of uh, open source funding model? Or what do you think are the barriers to getting more researchers interested? Get it into the lab journals. Like... I don't know. The, in Germany, we have like, uh, and also in, in whole of Europe, we have kind of like lab journals where every lab in, in the research area gets that for free, like new scientists or something. That, oh. And then get a little little article written about that kind of funding going on or put a little ad into it. Because that is read by really everybody in the lab, the technician, the students, uh, everybody. Because I know a lot of researchers are not going to these kind of forums on a daily basis because you are already reading so much. Yes. Mm. But during your tea break, if you have a paper lying around there, you flip through it, you read the stories, and I think maybe you're reaching more people, more researchers, maybe not the high-end researchers, okay. like not the professors, but you get the small ones, the students. Sure. So, well, that's great to hear. That's one way that uh, we can alert more researchers to the potential uh, of more funding. And that leads me into our last question for the episode here, the question that every guest has to answer. And that is, what is the best way that the life extension community, such as longevity, can get more involved in moving more research forward? I know you said we can you know, publicize the fact that we're funding uh, small research projects. But besides funding, more uh, promotion of life extension ideas? Or are there any other things, kind of repetitive, mundane things that a researcher has to do during many projects, something that can be offloaded to the life extension community that uh, pe that they can participate in things that they types of things they can assist uh, the researcher with I have, I have thought about that a lot and I think you're already doing a lot of these kind of things like you're you're trying to get in artists writers the public I have no very good idea how we can catch these scientists and get them more involved on a daily basis Maybe if you start something like a database 
but that that is really a big project. Sure. Something like PubMed, um, where you donate your your sequences, your publications. People have done kind of like an aging based sequence side where you where you just collect uh, gene error data, for example, which were related to an aging project. But that would maintain or that that would consider a high maintenance because somebody would have to like look every day through what has been published. You would have to make something with it. A, a database is nothing without like turning it into an idea or a theory. Understood. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. You, you cannot simply donate um, like for the folding thing. You just donate computer power. Sure, but I but I wouldn't know how to do that with aging research. Yeah, I understand that because it's it's lab work and you actually have to be there uh, for yeah. most of it. Um, sometimes I have thought about um, literature review or yeah, database Definitely. management or literature review helps a lot because that is like that would have to be quick because mm-hmm. usually you have like one month, two months until you write the next grant or you're writing about your paper, your, okay. your new research. If new people coming in and they are not used to kind of these type of data research, it's taking them much more time, but it, it's still valuable. So if, if more people would contribute towards reviews, that would be great. Okay. Well, thanks for all the ideas, Dr. Stolzing, and thanks for the update on the progress of the microglia stem cells. It's wonderful having you on the program again. Thank you again. And before wrapping up this podcast, I want to thank everyone who gave money to get this experiment up and running. As Dr. Stolzing mentioned, funding is always a major concern. Each time we fund a groundbreaking project through small donations of hundreds of people, we generate more visibility for life extension. I like to think it's inspiring to other organizations who might follow our path and find similar success. Keep up the good work. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.